Who says less means more or even better? Often during the health care reform debate, we hear you can improve quality and cut costs at the same time. But new research shows there are times when it makes sense to spend more to improve outcomes. You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, the healthcare reporter with the Chicago Tribune. And joining me today is Dr. Michael Ong. Michael Ong is an assistant professor in the Division of General Internal Medicine and Health Services Research in the Department of Medicine at the David Geffen School of Medicine at the University of California, Los Angeles. Dr. Ong's research focuses on improving the delivery of health by primary care doctors, particularly internists. His research has focused on everything from smoking cessation to improvements in hospital-based care. Dr. Ong received a BS degree in biological sciences from the University of California, Irvine, his medical degree from the University of California, San Diego, and a PhD in health services and policy analysis from the University of California, Berkeley. He completed the primary care internal medicine residency at the University of California, San Francisco. Uh, As it would have it, he joins us from his offices in California in sunny UCLA Medical Center in Southern California. Dr. Michael Ohm, welcome to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you, Bruce. Well, it's great to have you here. So tell us a little bit about this research. I mean, everybody out there listening to the healthcare reform debate, you hear about, hey, you know what? We can do it better and we can do it cheaper. Uh, you're here to tell us that that is, uh, in some of the research you've done, that, that that is definitely not always the case. Well, I think that a lot of this research that has looked at variations in healthcare across the United States has been uh, led by researchers at the Dartmouth Atlas of Healthcare, and particularly Jack Wemberg. And we think that the work that they have done over the years has been great. You know, I think that it points to a lot of issues in the way that we deliver healthcare in the United States and potentially how we could improve things. It, about 2005, 2006, was the first time that the Dartmouth Atlas of Healthcare, which has largely looked at geographic variations, decided to take a, uh, another look deeper into our healthcare system, which was to focus on variations between different hospitals, and particularly for Medicare beneficiaries in their last two years of life. And when they did a specific focus on California hospitals, they showed pretty wide variation, both nationally as well as within California. And one of the areas that they focused on was that there was also variation among the five University of California medical centers. And that prompted some discussions internally among our medical centers to try to really understand what is going on with this variation. And honestly, how can we make sure that we are the best institutions possible in terms of providing care? So since 2006, with some support from the California Healthcare Foundation, we decided to take a closer look at some of the same patients that the Dartmouth Atlas of Healthcare looked at when they evaluated hospitals. And during this process, we were joined by Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, which is an academic medical center affiliated with us here at UCLA. So among the six hospitals, we decided that we would look at patients with heart failure, which is one of the most common conditions that people are hospitalized for in the Medicare population. And we were intrigued by this issue of looking at individuals in their last two years or last six months of life. And that certainly tells us a lot about end-of-life care, but may not necessarily tell us about what happens to patients when they first come into the hospital. So when we took a look at our Medicare beneficiaries that were hospitalized at these six institutions... I'm sorry to interrupt, but and these patients were actually hospitalized. That's correct. Every patient that we looked at during this time frame between 2001 to about 2005 um, were patients that were hospitalized specifically for heart failure at these six institutions, and they happened to have Medicare as their insurance plan. 
And so we decided that we would look at these patients and see what happens to them over a six-month period after their initial hospitalization. And we also decided that we would use the same sort of Dartmouth Atlas approach of looking at individuals during this time frame that were in their last six months of life. And I think that our research shows that there definitely are variations across different medical centers, although the variation is not as great as um, we would see if we were specifically looking only at individuals at the end of life. I think that the other thing, though, is that when we only look at people at the end of life, it's really difficult to extrapolate that out to all of chronic care. And when we look at individuals coming in to a hospital, we can actually see whether or not they will live or whether or not they will die. And what we do see is that when we follow people in that approach, which we term a looking forward approach, we do see that there's also variation among mortality rates among the different hospitals. And as it happened to turn out, when we look at the six institutions, the institutions that actually spent the most actually had the best mortality rates. Now, whether that means that this is truly, you know, a relationship that says that if you spend more, you're going to get better health outcomes, that's hard to say. We're still trying to work out what are all those specific details that may actually lead to that. Because, you know, if there are things that we do that will actually improve outcomes, of course, we would love to make them more inexpensive, refine them so that we can really use savings for other things and really nail down what are those things that are going to provide the best quality of care possible for our patients. So I think that in terms of our overall thinking about what is going on with hospitals, I think that in some cases, it is always possible that there may be things that we do that may be more expensive that can result in better outcomes. I think that the bottom line is that we will need to do a lot more work to really figure out what are those things that we should retain in our healthcare system that will provide us the best care possible and what are things that, you know, if there are things that we should not be doing, what things should we discontinue? Now, one thing that intrigues me about this is that clearly there are no simple answers. But the study seems to indicate, and the study was in the journal Circulation, it indicates that it's not always easy to determine the kind of spending is wasteful. Would you say that that is one of the things you came away with? Well, I think that it suggests that um, there may be things that could be useful out of spending, but what we really need to do is take an additional step beyond this, since this is, again, you know, one layer deeper. Well, what are those things that we're spending on that are resulting in these outcomes? Because those are the things that I think that we want to make sure that we can retain in the healthcare system as long as it you know, makes sense in terms of all the trade-offs that we will have to do in our healthcare system if we can't do everything possible. If you're just joining us, or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Michael Ong. He's an assistant professor in the Division of General Medicine and Health Services Research in the Department of Medicine at the David Geffen School of Medicine at the University of California, Los Angeles. And we're talking about a study that uh, he was involved with that looked at six medical centers that underscores in my mind, how difficult it can be to predict when additional treatments and thus spending on these treatments can benefit a particular patient. And have you, uh, doctor, had a lot of feedback on this? I mean, given the the sense of the healthcare debate, and I know the, the New York Times wrote about your article, are people saying, please move on with this research because it will help us? Or have you been in touch with any policymakers or political people? Well, you know, I think that for us, you know, we have, uh, you know, been happy to share our findings with our colleagues from the 
Dartmouth Atlas of Healthcare. And I think that one thing that I would want to make sure that I point out is that, you know, as we continue to understand better what is underlying all of these variations, you know, there certainly has been work from the Dartmouth Atlas of Healthcare that also uses the same sort of approach in terms of not just looking at people at the end of life. And so they've had studies where they look at people with heart attacks or with hip fractures or with colon cancer surgeries. And they do see that in those cases, it doesn't seem as though spending more is that it provides better outcomes. But I think that as we move forward, every condition is going to be a little bit different. And I, I think that in order to help hospitals and policymakers understand what are those sort of things that we need to retain in the system, I think that everybody, of course, is all in favor of trying to make sure that we uh, keep costs down uh, and still provide the best quality of care possible. But in order to ensure that, we really need to identify those specific practices that we need to retain. And that's where we're sort of at at this point in terms of taking each level deeper. We know that the Dartmouth Atlas has done a great job in terms of describing that there are variations. The next step is, well, what do these variations mean? And are there other variations? And that's sort of where we're at with this paper that we published in Circulation, Cardiovascular Qualities and Outcomes. And then the next step down beyond that is going to be what are those specific things that really help patients the most and how can we make sure that everybody is doing those? Well, in your study, if I'm gathering this correctly, the hospital with the highest cost for these heart failure patients had one-third fewer deaths than the one that spent the least. Is that correct? That is essentially correct. And so the people that ended up with better outcomes, were they able to go live a relatively healthy life or were they still sort of kind of at the end of their lives? So one thing that we're not able to do with our study is to go back and talk to these individuals to understand better what their quality of life was. Because even if you do survive, if your quality of life is not good, I'm not sure that everybody would want to live that kind of life. And I think for that reason, we will need to do additional types of studies to really ask patients, how did this work out for you? In terms of your quality of life, are you doing better as a result of having gone through these procedures and to this hospital? And there is a large body of work that looks at that, but it hasn't really been linked in terms of looking at the variations across the United States in terms of our care. And I think that in terms of making sure that we are doing all of the right things, you know, we know that there's certainly wide variation in terms of different practices that people may do for various conditions. And as I mentioned before, we just want to make sure that we minimize the variation so that everybody's doing the right thing for patients. And if there are things that are not as helpful, that we try to identify those so we can take them out. Could you see any applications of this being studied at earlier stages of people's lives? Because it seems like, you know, maybe there are areas where more spending early on could end up even saving money. You know, I think that there's been a lot of discussion about how helpful preventive care can be in terms of saving costs downstream. And there are certainly some things that are very cost-saving that we could be doing. So, for example, if we had everybody stop smoking, that would be a tremendous benefit to our overall healthcare system in terms of reducing further costs downstream and also improving everyone's quality of life. So I think that there are certainly things that we should be doing much earlier in terms of trying to make sure that uh, we keep everyone as healthy as possible. And also, are there certain centers that are adopting any of these practices or uh, have contacted you, uh, maybe even the hospitals involved, have they, uh, are, what are they doing with the data? 
Well, as a next step, with help from the California Healthcare Foundation and also from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, we've been working with all of the six institutions to really try to understand deeper what are those practices that we can do to make sure that our patients receive the best care possible. Because we all understand that even for the hospital that spent the most, of course, we would love to do as much as possible, but everybody has a budget at, at some point, and we can't um, do limitless spending. So I think that at this point, we're still in the process of really understanding what are those procedures and processes of care that we need to implement to make sure that we get everybody's outcomes as good as possible so that we can all be like that hospital's mortality rates, you know, that have the best mortality rates out of our six institutions. And can you give us some examples of where the kind of care that was given and like specifically where somebody got more care as opposed to what they might normally get? Well, certainly there are times when people were spending more time in the hospital. Like were they getting more medication? Were they getting more attention from nurses or doctors? Or how, how did that work? We know that when patients leave the hospital, there sometimes is a large gap in terms of what happens afterwards. And it's not easy for people to get back in to see their primary care doctor. There's been studies that have been published recently in the New England Journal of Medicine, particularly for Medicare patients, of these patients who are leaving the hospital and coming back in within 30 days. Half of them don't even get to see a primary care doctor or an outpatient physician during that time frame. And so we can do great things in the hospital, but uh, in terms of what happens after somebody leaves the hospital, we don't have a system of care that really works in terms of maintaining continuity. And in those cases, if a patient is not doing so well, it might make more sense to have the patient stay longer if there is not an appropriate system of care outside of the hospital to help take care of that patient. So I think that, you know, there's been a lot of focus on these transitions of care from the inpatient to outpatient side that many people have been working on over the past decade. And I think that setting up systems like that will probably lead to great improvements in terms of how patients do after they've been released from the hospital. And of course, I think all patients would prefer to be at home rather than in the hospital. We just want to make sure that everybody's going to do okay when they leave. Well, and one thing that sort of comes to mind is that you hear a lot of physicians saying, we don't have enough time to spend with our patients. And so in this, you know, you're pointing out spending more, which probably meant more time with the patient, uh, improved outcomes. Does that logic make sense to you at all? Well, it potentially can, um, but I think that unfortunately our study doesn't help us in terms of really identifying the true causes of it. So, you know, we can certainly speculate that when you're in an intensive environment like a hospital, you will get the opportunity to work more with doctors and have them, along with the rest of the healthcare team, such as nurses or other aspects of our healthcare system, to work specifically on your healthcare issues. And having a day in the hospital versus a day, you know, with your doctor in an outpatient clinic, you know, may be equivalent and there may be a trade-off that is going on. You know, in our system where we have a serious problem with uh, having enough primary care physicians or providers available for everyone who wants to see one, you know, if they can't get that kind of care outside of a hospital, it may be better for the patient to be in the hospital, although, you know, if we're thinking about it from a systems point of view, there probably are better ways that are less expensive than, you know, having somebody stay in a hospital and get that equivalent kind of care. But unfortunately, the way that our system is structured currently, that's not feasible. Well, with that, I would like to thank Dr. Michael Ohm, who has been our guest. He's a professor in the Division of General Medicine in the Department of Medicine of the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. We're so happy to have him here. I'm Bruce Japson of the Chicago Tribune. I've been your host, and you've been listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on the air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and I'd like to thank you today for listening.